it's a fuller room than I expected this morning. What's going on? <laughs> Everyone's back from vacation. <laughs> Everyone's back from vacation, okay. Uh, or from summer. So we're uh, doing a study in Ephesians. And we're trying to answer some of the who, what, why, when, where questions uh, before we started our study. And I have a, a chronology here. I only have a couple left that uh, goes through. It's a chronology of the apostolic era. Um, I know some of you have one. We're not going to have enough to go around. Where should I start distributing? Over here? I'll let, I'll let you guys figure out who means what. Okay. So I apologize for being late. Uh, 15 minutes, it's Karen's fault. <laughs> no, it really was. She was here. I just get showered. I accept responsibility for myself. I actually got up at 4.30 and I crawled back in bed at 7. And, uh, I forgot to set the alarm. I forgot to set the alarm. So here we are. So in, in, in looking at Ephesians, uh, we were looking at the who... Um, and the why in particular, who wrote Ephesians? Paul. Paul wrote Ephesians. Um, there's some debate about that, but that debate has been recent debate, and in the last 200 years, everybody really believes that Paul wrote Ephesians. Um, about when did he write Ephesians? Does anybody know? Yeah, so if you pull up the chronology... You find out that Ephesians was late in Paul's writing. So the chronology starts with the birth of the Christian church at Pentecost, and it goes through the, uh, the early church and the dispersion of the church, and then it talks about uh, Paul's missionary journeys. The reason I have this uh, poem up here, this is a poem that uh, actually very early on in my Christian walk I, uh, I grabbed onto, um, it has to do with how we live, right? And so part of the why of Ephesians is it's about how we live. And so I grabbed this poem. Uh, used to hear J. Vernon McGee recite this all the time. Um, basically, it has to do with that we're constantly preaching. People are reading us. Um, as a sermon. So I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely show the way. The eyes of better people and more willing than a year. Find counsel is confusing, but examples always clear. The best of all the preachers are men who live their creeds. For to see the good in action is what everybody needs. I can soon learn how to do it if you let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lectures you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lesson by observing what you do. For I may misunderstand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. And so, if I'm the example this morning, don't learn from that. (laughs) But nonetheless, um, what we're looking at is the why, um, why, why Paul wrote this. And... You, you actually find that in uh, Ephesians itself, Paul's usually very direct in giving you the reason that he's writing. Um, he'll usually put it up front, as opposed to John, who usually puts it at the very end. 
Um, so if you study different writers in the New Testament, you'll find different styles. Uh, Paul actually, I believe, uh, tucked the main purpose for his writing. Because we want to understand who, what, why, when, where. Um, part of the why is that it has to do with how we live. That Paul is concerned that, one, that we know who we are and that we live true to that identity, right? So what do we call that in the modern era? When you live true to your identity. Pardon? Authentic integrity. The word integrity actually means that you're the same on the outside as you are on the inside. That, and the reason people can trust that is because they see it. You know, you're not going to change on them. They're going to understand where you're coming from because that's who you are. And uh, that's what Paul is concerned about. He says, um, Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And that we're to do that with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. So we understand that... Um, we're not, even though we may be uh, carriers of the truth, both within us and to others, um, we're not to bash people over the head with it. So we're not to take our Bible and smack them on the head and say, this is right and that is wrong. Rather, we're to live that. And what happens is it's not our job to convict people of sin or to convince people of sin. Uh, that's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is to be true, to have to know our identity and to live that be people of integrity. So <clears throat> what you're going to see is that that becomes really key in Paul's theology. And it wasn't something that was formed overnight. So that's why I took us to the chronology of how Paul came to be who he is and why he came to write what he came to write. So when we were looking at the chronology, we saw the early church was birthed um, with the resurrection of, of Jesus and that um, that was the evidence that God's word was true, that we could depend on it, right? We call that the gospel, the good news. What is the good news? You find it in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, and I'm going to read it for you. Paul, writing in 1 Corinthians, to the letter to the Corinthians, he says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, and which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, priority one, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And then he was seen by a whole bunch of witnesses. So, um, when the church was born, it was born with Christ's resurrection. The understanding of the importance of that resurrection became more apparent as the Spirit dwells within people and enlightens them. In fact, that enlightenment was so profound, it was uh, a sweeping revelation that happened on the day of Pentecost when Peter, who was a a uh, dumb fisherman, um, and, but he had been with Christ, stood up and he preached, and more than 2,000 came to be born again that day, just hearing that sermon. Right? That's the power of this message and the power of what God had done. Well, that 
expanded out in Jerusalem, and we understand that the message was to go from Jerusalem to all of Judea and Samaria, which is the, the land around uh, Jerusalem, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth to reach out. And that's what the story of Acts is about. It's about the, uh, the telling of the gospel, the good news, starting in Jerusalem and moving out, first to Jews and then to Gentiles. Well, Paul was one of those guys that was an actual student of the scriptures. So he understood inside and out what was written in what they called the law and the prophets and the writings. He was a Pharisee, and in fact, he was one of uh, the highest of the Pharisees. So Pharisees were those who were very uh, zealous for the law and the, the, the scriptures and the understanding them, studying them, and teaching them, and holding to them. Um, and he was one of the select of the Pharisees that became part of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin being uh, the ruling body of the Jewish people. And he actually got papers from the high officials to go out and chase down these Christians because they were corrupting the faith. And so it was on his journey to catch some uh, round up these Christians that had gone afar as a result of a dispersion, a persecution of Christians, that he came to meet Jesus. And he met him personally. He got knocked off his horse, and in seeing Christ, it transformed his life. Not only did he come to experience uh, Jesus personally, that he met him after his resurrection, but Jesus also um, gave him a, uh, a commission. He gave him a part in his work, and that part was to go to those that weren't of this Jewish tradition, what they call the nations or the Gentiles, and to tell them the same good news. Because it wasn't God's plan that salvation was only for a select few. It was God's plan that salvation was for the whole world. right? And so that had to go somehow. And that was uh, Paul, and that was Peter, and that was some of the other apostles that went out uh, to give this message. And that's what this chronology in Acts actually tells us. It tells about how Paul went out. And we're going to take a look at a uh, map here. I'm going to close that. So uh, this is a map of, and it's probably hard to see, and I'm going to blow it up. But before I blow it up, I want you all to have an opportunity to see the larger area. So this is the Mediterranean and that you've got Italy here, Spain is over this direction off the map, and you've got Greece here and Macedonia, you've got what is modern-day Turkey in that day. Um, this southern part and part of the northern part was called Galatia and Cappadocia. You have Syria over here, and where Paul actually started was a little town in Syria called Antioch. There was another Antioch, so for those of you that know this was a revelation for some last week, there were two Antiochs. Um, this is where he started his journey. And we're going to take a look. I think we went through uh, last week the first missionary journey where Paul, let's go ahead and pull this in a little bit. If I can do that. Oh, come on, grab it. There it goes. Okay, so let's just look at the first missionary journey of Paul. And so he started here in uh, Antioch. Syrian Antioch, so uh, the area that is today Syria, and back then it was called Syria. He went from Antioch over to Cyprus, 
And then from Cyprus, he started his uh, ministry into um, Asia. And in Asia, he started up into this area of uh, Galatia. And you see, he didn't actually go very far, but you got to remember he's doing this all on foot. And it was here that John Mark, um, Barnabas's uh, nephew, bugged out on him, and it got Paul all in a, a twist, and Barnabas, and they eventually, when they go to leave again, leave John Mark behind because he wasn't trustworthy. Um, Paul, actually, in the course of sharing the gospel, came to the point of death a couple of times, where he was beaten and dragged, drug outside the city and left for dead. All of that kind of stuff was happening. So this is a very committed uh, apostle to the Gentiles. What was the big problem that happened after this first journey? Do you remember? Anybody remember what happened? You can follow the chronology through here. The people that um, had were the early Christians, they were Jews. And those early Jewish Christians thought that the way to come to God was through Judaism. Right? Because that's what Judaism taught. You meet with God at the temple. You meet with God at the mercy seat. That's the place where he dwells among his people in the Holy of Holies. And that communion with God is through the priesthood. In fact, the high priest. And so when Jesus came and, and gave a new covenant with the people and his blood, um, they embraced that, but they still embraced the old religion. And we read about that in Hebrews. That there is a, a full exposition of how um, the revelation of God and his redemptive plan moved from uh, this framework which we call the law and the cultic practice of the Jewish people into the freedom that we have in Christ. How he actually was the high priest for us. That he actually made a sacrifice that was, that was effective, that could actually redeem us, that could rescue us, that could pay the price that could cover our sin, that whole uh, atonement understanding, right? Well, they, they embraced that, but they embraced it in the context of Judaism. So they came into this area right after Paul came through, and they said, no, 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 you gotta, you got to practice all our dietary laws, you got to get circumcised, you got to do all of these things in order to be a Christian. And Paul said, no, 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 that's not right. So he went to Jerusalem, and he got clarification. And you read about that in the autumn of 49... Um, Paul ends up uh, going to uh, Jerusalem in order to, to get clarification on that. And then he leaves on a second missionary journey. So I'm going to go ahead and turn that on now. I'll turn off the first and turn on the second. You'll see he goes farther in his missionary journey this time. And instead of going by sea over to Cyprus and then coming up um, through this coastal area here and then having to climb those tall mountains because there's a, a mountain range here um, in order to get to uh, Pisidian Antioch, Antioch that uh, resides in the territory of uh, Pisidia, um, which was part of this uh, Galatian uh, area. He goes by land, and he makes his point to, to visit those same cities that he had gone to the first time. And he did that because he wanted to reinforce for them their identity in Christ who they are, 
in Jesus. Well, he ends up, and his goal is to go over to this part of the country, over here to a city called Ephesus. Now, you'll see, when he gets to Antioch here, he ends up going north. He was prevented from going into this area. We read about that in Acts. So he went north, up here to Troas, and there he had a vision. He had a vision of a man in Macedonia. This area up here is called Macedonia. That's where... Um, you know, we know of uh, Alexander the Great. His dad was from Macedonia. And the great city here was named after his dad, Philippi. And so he sees that there's a, uh, in a vision, there's a man calling him to Macedonia to bring the good news to Macedonia. So he heads over here and he goes to Philippi. And in Philippi, he gets thrown in jail. So Paul and jail have this relationship. He ends up there a lot. And he's beaten, and in the course of that, he ends up um, with the partner that he went with uh, on that trip. And they're in chains, and they're singing hymns, and in the middle of the night, an earthquake happens, and they're loosed. And the jailer freaks out, because the doors are all thrown open in the prison, and he knows that his life is forfeit if the prisoners escape. So, Paul just stays right where he's at. And he assures this Philippian jailer that no, they're not going to leave, um, that they're there, they're innocent and falsely imprisoned. And he shares the good news with them, and that man becomes a Christian. In fact, his whole family. And that's the beginning of the church there in Philippi. And in fact, Paul gets released because he's a Roman citizen. He ends up over here in Thessalonica and, uh, and then uh, an area called Berea, which these were people that were very intent on understanding the truth of what Paul was saying, what the scripture said. Yes. So he had Silas with him on this. Yes, he had right? Silas with him. And who else? Uh, he picked up Timothy as well. So, yeah, but that was in a feed, uh, where was it? Where was, where so where did he pick up Timothy? So um, I think he picked up Timothy when he went through uh, Lystra Derby in 50 AD. So at that point, uh, Timothy was also, because Timothy and Silas stayed back here at Thessalonica when he went ahead to Athens. If you read through the chronology in Acts. Um, so he has a couple of people with him. Silas, it turns out, is one of those uh, very faithful servants. And, and I'll tell you a little bit about Silas, because he's an important guy to understand, being with Paul. Um, he is with Paul very early on. So he's with Paul in this missionary journey. Um, he was with Paul when Paul went to Jerusalem to make his case that the, the Gentiles did not need to practice all of the, the, the uh, Jewish cultic practice, Jewish cultic practice. And that, um, so Silas was, uh, he was a lawyer like Paul. So Paul was a lawyer. So if you think that lawyers are all bad, um, a large part of our New Testament was written by a lawyer. And uh, Silas was with him. Silas was a lawyer. He was trained the same way that Paul was trained in classical Greek. And he ended up becoming what they call an amanuensis, uh, a secretary for Paul. He would actually take, because Paul had some vision problems, he was not able to write except for in big letters. So Silas would do a lot of the writing for him. And the Greek style is very high Greek. 
when we get to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews is an anonymous author, but it was early attributed to Paul because the theology in Hebrews is very Pauline. Well, it turns out that the, the uh, Greek writing style is very similar to that which we know is attributed to Silas. Sometimes he's called Silvanus. And that uh, he may be the author of Hebrews. So he has this clear understanding of the theology of Paul, and that's because he was with them, and he was in the trenches with Paul. And so he ends up on this missionary journey, Paul's on this missionary journey, he leaves the, these guys behind up here in Thessalonica, and he heads down to Athens, and that's where we hear the great sermon of Paul called the Sermon on Mars Hill. I don't know if you've read that, I think it's a great sermon. Um, he's basically walking through the city, and Athens is kind of the center of their philosophy. And in the course of going through and looking at the Greek philosophy and the gods that they have honored all over the place, little g gods, um, he comes to this one uh, memorial to the unknown god. And he looks at this memorial, and he, I can just imagine Paul looks at it and he just shakes his head. Like, My goodness, how lost are these people? They want to make sure they don't miss anything, but they don't know anything. Right, And he then stands up in the forum where people would stand and, and do expositions in philosophy, and he presents the gospel. And he declares to them this unknown God. And he says, this God is, and I'm going to use my own words here, he's closer to you than your own breath. You can't be separated from God in the sense that he sustains you. He's the creator of all things. And yet you don't know him, but now you do, and he declares Jesus Christ. So those of you that may be struggling with the Trinity and understanding that uh, the Son of God, the Son of Man, that those are titles for Jesus, the man, who is fully man. He's also fully God, and that's what Paul declares there on Mars Hill. And people come to, to believe. Some people really want to hear this message, right? He ends up going from Athens down to Corinth, and we know that he spends some time in Corinth, and if you look where Corinth is, Corinth is right here in this little spit that's coming across. So Athens is over here, Corinth is over here. Um, it was an area where they actually dredged a canal so that they could join the two sides without having to go around this, this peninsula so that they could move goods across and get it over into this other area of the Grecian Peninsula. So Corinth was a very important trade city. Athens was important for philosophy. Corinth was important for, for trade. That was like a sailor's town, right? So just imagine um, you've got all these boats coming in from all over. They're coming to Corinth, and they're looking for liberty on land. Right? So we know what this, the reputation of a sailor town is. Well, that's what it was. And, uh, and Paul then goes from there. After he leaves there, he actually stops on this continent, which was his original intent. But he doesn't stay there. And he ends up skipping down and coming to Jerusalem and then back to Antioch. And all of this is, in this whole time, he's... He's very single-purposed. He wants to present the gospel. He wants people to understand who Jesus is and who they are in him, in Christ. And you're going to actually see that 
Uh, when we look at the Ephesian letter, and we're going to actually get to the first two verses today. Trust me, we'll get there. Um, when you look at the first two verses of, of Ephesians, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, so we under, we, there's a couple things we want to understand here. Will of God, uh, Christ Jesus, apostle, to the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Just in the first verse is packed three major theological um, pieces that we need to unpack. Then in this, the second verse, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a couple other big pieces we need to unpack. Grace, peace, God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is different than Christ Jesus in the first verse. Not a different person, but a different understanding of the man, the Son of God, the Son of Man, Jesus. So, anyway, what happened is, is Paul got back here, and you read about it. This happened from his second missionary journey took two and a half years. His first one, his little foray, I say little, up into this area here took a year and a half. That's how long it takes to do a walkabout in that part of Turkey. His second one, that whole loop there, took two and a half years. And that happened from about April in 50 A.D. to September of 52 A.D. Now, when was that relative to the death and resurrection of Jesus? I'll give you a teaser. Yeah, it's about 20 years. Not quite. It was the, I would date... Um, based on Harold Honer's uh, chronologies, that the uh, Jesus was crucified on April 3rd, 33 A.D., and raised on the the third day or that morning of the third day, which would be the 5th of April, 33 A.D., and that um, we can go through and we can date all of the events. So um, the ascension would have been Thursday, May 14th, 33 A.D. Uh, Pentecost would have been Sunday, May 24th, 33 AD. So, looking at when Paul went, it was fairly close to when these events actually happened. And there were eyewitnesses to the original event at the time that Paul went on his first two missionary journeys and probably his third missionary journey. That there were people that, even though they were persecuted, they were eyewitnesses and could validate what Paul was saying. That's why when you look at that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he cites the eyewitnesses to this event. Right? He says, uh, he appeared, appeared first to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, and we know that from the gospel accounts, where he actually uh, appeared through a wall and was present with them. And after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep, some have passed away. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Right. So in the letter to the Corinthians, he's establishing his apostleship. So an apostle is one who actually um, was in the presence of the resurrected Christ. In the presence of Jesus after he had been raised from the dead. And so Paul actually had that experience we know about on his trip to Damascus. <clears throat> and so this is 
some 17 years later um, that he goes on his second missionary journey. And in the course of that, um, he ends up, uh, you see that he went from Antioch to back to Syria, uh, up to Lystra Derby, Iconium, Pisidian, Antioch, and then Antioch to Troas, and then to Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, uh, Corinth, and Timothy and Silas arrived from Berea, because Timothy and, and Silas stayed back in uh, Thessalonica when he was there. And it was at that time that when Timothy and um, Silas returned and met up with Paul in this area for his ministry there in Corinth, that Paul wrote the letters to the Thessalonians. So the first letter written was the letter to the Galatians, and that happened after his first missionary journey and this Judaizers were coming in. The, the, the second and third letters written by Paul were the first and second Thessalonians. So they were letters that were written while he was on his second missionary journey. Then he uh, departed from Corinth, Corinth, went to Ephesus, and then Jerusalem. This was Paul's fourth visit to Jerusalem, and then he returned to Antioch, and then he wintered there. And then Paul has more than just wanderlust. He has a mission, and his uh, next mission would again start at Antioch, and it would again take this same route through uh, southern Galatia area in Turkey, but it would end up in Ephesus this time. That was the intent on his second missionary journey. But on his third, he actually goes to Ephesus, and he stays there for a long time. That's what he wanted to do to begin with. Why did he want to go to Ephesus? It was a hub city, right? The Temple of Diana. Yeah. So it was an important city because it, it uh, was near port. So it was an important city from the, um, from the, uh, the Greek-Roman Empire. So the Romans had taken, uh, they were the, the empire of the day. But nonetheless, it was the Greeks that established uh, pretty much the philosophy and, and way of life in the area. Um, and so in this Grecian city of Ephesus, there was worship of the Greek gods. There were also worship of the Roman gods. They adopted a lot of different gods, right? And the the uh, the premier Greek god that was worshipped there is who? Diana Artemis or Artemis. Same same one. So what does what does Diana or Artemis look like? Anybody have you ever seen a picture of that statue? <laughs> The fertility guy. The fertility guy, right. So those of you who haven't seen the statue, use your imagination. (laughs) And and this was like not just, you know, regular fertility. This was really fertile, you know. It's like, wow. And so part of that practice, cultic practice, of those that would go to the, the temple there of Artemis would be uh, prostitution. So they'd have the temple prostitutes. And they would be making sacrifices continually to these gods and to the, the specifically uh, Diana of the Ephesians. And so um, Paul comes there, and his desire is to tell them the truth. He goes, and, and I think Jack said it last week, it's like going to San Francisco and um, preaching on the corner. Except for Paul was so successful in his preaching on the corner, he expanded into an old schoolhouse. 
And in that schoolhouse, he set up shop, and he also worked there. So he didn't uh, solicit, he didn't put out his, his uh, coin bin and then preach, and people would come by and throw in money. He didn't want to take money from the people. Rather, he worked. And then when he wasn't working, he was teaching. And when he wasn't teaching, he was preaching. And in his first and second missionary journeys, he was very concerned about going to the Jews first. By this time, it's like, now nah, I'm not going to worry about the Jews. There were Jews in this town, but he wasn't like trying to get the strength of what should have been the local church there. He was going in as a, a raw missionary to an unreached people. He liked going into uh, Kuwait today, right? Where the Christian population is very, very small in their underground, if they exist. And there were Christians there, because there were people that got relocated from over here when Paul had come through um, that he ended up hooking up with. Does anybody know who that is? That's right, Priscilla and Aquila. So they were tent makers, like Paul, and they ended up in Ephesus at about the same time, and uh, Paul worked with them in establishing this ministry there in Ephesus. And so he spent a good amount of time in Ephesus. If you read through in the third missionary journey, he leaves in the spring of 53. <clears throat> this is a four-year trip. He visits the Galatian churches, and he arrives in Ephesus in September of 53. It's there that he writes the, letter to, the first letter to the Corinthians, and that's in the early spring of 56. So that means from September of 53 to the spring of 56, he's there establishing that teaching ministry in Ephesus. And a lot of people are coming to, to know Christ as a result of Paul's teaching. A lot of people. And there's a result of that. What was the result of people coming to know Christ in Ephesus? Resistance because they started to hurt their economy. Starting to affect the economy. Part of the economy. Remember, this is like uh, you know the center of, of some of their cultic practice, and all of a sudden the idol uh, <coughs> trade started getting hit. All of this silver work and and gold work and things that people would have as idols, um, people were converting to Christianity, and they said there is no God but Yahweh. There is no God but Jesus. And they gave up these idols. And they didn't, they're not like us today where we'll wear the little gold cross. You know? um, the cross was a symbol of capital punishment. It was a symbol of shame. So we understand that later on, the church identified itself through the cross of Christ. But at this time, no. So these people are giving up their tax, they're giving up their jewelry. They're giving up their, their idols that they're putting on the, on the uh, table side. That's affecting the economy. So that's what you read about. And in the meantime, things are going wrong over in Corinth. Um, the church there is very immature. Even though Paul founded that church, um, they're having all sorts of problems with immorality and other things. I mean, it's a sailor town, right? So... Um, 
Christianity comes in. We see this all the time. People get converted to Christianity, but the old man's still there. There's a whole walk in discipleship that needs to happen. And that walk in discipleship requires some mature people to help uh, instruct and guide as people are walking out their faith. Well, Paul ends up writing the letter uh, to the Corinthians uh, while he's there. And then there's this riot that happens in Ephesus. And he needs to take off. So he takes off from Ephesus and he goes to Troas. From Troas, um, he ends up back in Macedonia for a very short period of time. And then he, uh, and there, while he's there in Macedonia, he writes 2 Corinthians. And all of this was happening in a very short period of time. May, June, July, August. So it was a, it was a crazy summer for Paul. And then he departs uh, Macedonia and he goes back to Corinth. So it's like when, if you read the, the letters to Corinth, um, Paul promises he's going to come again. And that when he comes, um, he's hopeful that they'll have resolved these kind of problems that are going on in the church. But it's kind of like um, when you know you get a, uh, an admonition from your mother. Your father, wait, just wait till your father comes home. <laughs> um, so it's kind of like that when Paul says, yeah, and by the way, I'm coming. Uh, and I hope when I come that this problem is not still there. Um, so, you know, they're, they're uh, concerned about that. He arrives in Corinth, um, and he decides to winter there, and that's when Romans is written. So, at this point, the gospel has now spread beyond uh, just this area of uh, the new of this part of the world, and it's spread over into Rome, and that's the and, and it makes sense because that's the seat of the government, right? So um, there are going to be those that are slaves that are taken there that have converted. There are going to be some of privilege that that's their home as well, and so they go to Rome, and so a, a church is founded in Rome. He ends up writing the letter to the Romans. He ends up leaving Corinth and ends up. Uh, Retracing his steps, he goes back through Philippi, Troas, from Troas to uh, Mytilene, to Mytilene, from Mytilene to Chios, from Chios to uh, Tragilium. I don't know if I'm going to pronounce these right. He ends up back in Ephesus, and in Ephesus he meets with the elders. And basically it's a, um, a time of tears, because he's on his way uh, to Jerusalem. And he's told that what awaits you in Jerusalem is chains. You know, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound and you're going to be imprisoned. And, but Paul knows that that's for God's glory, that he's actually called to that. Now, that's got to be really tough, knowing that the place that you're going to is going to deprive you of your liberty, not his freedom in Christ, but his liberty is going to be taken away from him. And he's going to be hard-pressed from that point till the end of his life. So it's a time of tears when he meets with these people that he had spent so much time with and he invested so much of his life in, um, in Ephesus, right? And he leaves from there, and he ends up going back uh, down here to Tyre and then uh, Caesarea uh, by the sea, which is distant from the Caesarea Philippi. And he ends up in Jerusalem, and we all read about the end of Paul's third missionary journey with his arrest there in um, Jerusalem. And from Jerusalem, um, he ends up going to Rome. 
but it's a long trip to Rome. So his trip to Rome, and I'm going to have to go out a little bit here. Okay. So from Jerusalem, he is taken under guard to Caesarea, spends a time in Caesarea. And Caesarea is, is by the coast. And if you're in prison there, you're deprived of the breeze that comes off of the, the Mediterranean. So there's typically a breeze coming this direction. Um, and that breeze is very important. It's important, one, to kind of moderate the temperature, but it's also important for the people that are agricultural-based. It's what causes um, the rains. It's what causes the winds so that they can thresh their grain and that kind of stuff. Well, he's now put in a, a prison, and it's stiflingly hot, and uh, he's kept there for a period of time until he goes on trial. And in the course of his trial, he claims his right to a trial before Caesar because he's been unjustly accused and he realizes that those that are of the Jewish um, leadership are going to kill him. Not only has he had that told him prophetically, but he knows that that is true. So he makes an appeal to Caesar and he ends up going on this long journey where he gets shipwrecked and he ends up in Rome. It is there, when he's in Rome, and that that whole voyage to Rome takes from uh, August of 59 to February of 60. And that's not the time that you want to be traveling in that part of the world by ocean. Um, and he ends up, uh, leaves uh, Caesarea, goes to Myra Fairhavens, he's shipwrecked in Malta, ends up departing from Malta and arrives in Rome. And that's, it was in Malta, by the way, that when they were shipwrecked there, that uh, he was bitten by a snake and he shook it into the fire. So you can imagine they're sitting there throwing wood on the fire and a snake, a venomous snake, jumps out of the wood pile and snags onto his arm. And Paul just kind of shakes it loose over the fire. And, um, people, and he didn't die. Right? People are like freaked out. It's like, whoa, who is this guy? This scrawny little loudmouth. Um, and that's probably how they described him because he wasn't a man of big stature. But boy, he when he spoke, he spoke with authority. Um, all of a sudden... Uh, he's claiming Christ and he doesn't die. So does that mean that everybody that claims Christ is not going to die? They get bitten by a snake? And you actually read about how that event influenced some of the later writings. Um, but anyway, so it's there. Uh, he arrives in Rome, and this is the beginning of his first Roman imprisonment uh, from February of 60 to March of 62. And you'll notice as shortly after his arrival in Rome, um, in the fall of 60 is when he wrote this letter to the Ephesians. Bob? Dave, on what basis did he claim Roman citizenship? Um, he had Roman citizenship through his parents. Okay. So his parents were Roman citizens. He was actually educated as a Roman citizen. So he had right to the Roman universities, um, that kind of stuff. So he was a person of privilege. Uh, so not only was he a Roman citizen, but he was Roman by birth, which was different than if you become a Roman because you buy your citizenship, which some people would do. Um, and then he had a specific um, privilege that allowed him to become a lawyer, become a rhetorician. So um, he could have played the Roman card many, many, many times, and he didn't. Because if you read, especially in, in the Corinthians, he says, you know, um, I become all things to all men 
so that by some means I might win them to Christ. In other words, um, he was not going to use his Roman citizenship unless it allowed him to, in some way, use that to present the gospel so that people could be saved. He wasn't going to use it for his own benefit. He would only use it for the benefit of the people that needed to be saved. And, I mean, that's incredible. When you look at what he went through, that was his mindset the whole time. You read uh, the letter to the Philippians, and you read that same kind of personal letter. And, and I mean, this is, to me, this is very important. So when I served in, in missionary field, and I was, it was a relatively short period of time, but you read about Paul and what he went through, and I'm just going to read a little bit out of Philippians. It says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, that letter to the Philippians was written towards the end of Paul's imprisonment. This letter to the Ephesians was written towards the beginning of his Roman imprisonment. So you see, a lot of the theological elements and what I just read out of Philippians, which, in case I didn't give you the address, was chapter 3, verses 7 through... Um, 14. A lot of that same theology you see more fully developed in the letter to the Ephesians. It's because Paul was a man of integrity. He didn't change um, who he was because of the outside world pressing on him. He changed who he was because of Christ in him. It was Christ in him that totally transformed his life. It was Christ in him that made his calling clear, made his calling sure. It was Christ in him that allowed him in Ephesians to say, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And that's why we're going to see the first three chapters of Ephesians totally unpack that um, that calling to which you've been called, that identity in Christ, that when you stand up in that identity and live in the world, you're living that identity out. You're being a living sermon. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. That's what Paul is doing, right? That's how we get to the letter of Ephesians. <laughs> I'm glad I read this earlier because Karen's pointing out I'm out of time. Paul 
an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to read down through verse 14 just to kind of wet your whistle here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. That is packed full. And we're going to crack that next week. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we thank you that Paul cared so deeply that he would give his life as, uh, to communicate who you are. We're so thankful that you came to, to save us and that you called people like Paul, and that you called people like us to those that are around us. Lord, we just thank you so much for your word and, and what we find in it, the incredible treasure that is here. And Lord, we just ask that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, help us to be people of integrity, um, as Paul was. Lord, we are challenged every day. Our world is messed up, and um, Lord, there are so many things that call us to compromise uh, in this world. And Lord, we ask that you give us the strength not to compromise, but to stand true, uh, but with gentleness and respect in all things, Lord. We thank you for this, Lord. Uh, We ask for your blessing on this day. We ask for your blessing on the time this morning, the message this morning. And for those that um, are first here at the church, Lord, that you would um, pick their heart with your spirit, Lord, to hear your message. Lord, we thank you for that. We ask that for everybody that's here, not just those that are new. But Lord, we just ask for your blessing upon your servants this morning as they teach and preach. Lord, we thank you for your protection of us, your provision for us, and for your incredible service to us, Lord. We thank you for all of this. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.